Welcome, everyone, to Find Your Grind, a podcast that dives headfirst into the pursuit of one's passion and the passion of the pursuit. I'm your host, AJ Kirsch, and to borrow a line from Troy McClure, you might remember me from such reality shows as WWE Tough Enough on the USA Network, Dating Naked on VH1. You may have seen me in an interview with Larry King. You might know me as Brosif Joe Brody, the host and commentator of Hood Slam, which goes down the first Friday of every month at the Oakland Metro Opera House. Uh, you also might recognize me as a finalist from Dwayne Johnson's Rock the Promo competition, which I'll get into a little bit later on. And I am thrilled to be adding podcaster to that list of stuff and things that I love to do. Uh, thank you so much for checking out the second episode of Find Your Grind. Hopefully that means you uh, heard the first one and enjoyed it enough that you came back for more. And if that's the case, thank you so much for checking it out. I really appreciate it. For those of you that have gone onto iTunes and have rated the podcast, wrote, written a review of the podcast, I appreciate that. And uh, it's the second episode. We're going to be talking with Brett Kavanaugh of the Hood Slam Band, lead singer and keyboardist of the Hood Slam Band, Nephilim, and a number of other San Francisco Bay Area music projects. And uh, we're going to be talking about his journey to become a professional uh, musician, a journey that he, a journey that is far from over. And uh, you know, for anybody out there who has any interest in becoming a professional musician, then you may want to stick around and uh, check out the interview. Um, if you want to learn about the origins of this podcast, I encourage you to check out the intro to the first episode, which is available on iTunes and streaming on SoundCloud. Um, I the short of it is, I got laid off from a job that I had for a little over four years. I was a server at a restaurant right across the camp, uh, right across the street from the UC Berkeley campus. And uh, since I got laid off uh, about five weeks ago, um, I use, I've been using that time to really turn up the heat on the passions that I'm pursuing. Um, hosting wrestling gigs, acting, commercial work, um, working with dynamic muscle, all the things, hustling auditions and... Uh, but, you know, the time has come to start looking at possibly bringing in some more regular, dependable income. It's nice to have that coming in when your passions are not necessarily bringing in the kind of money that you can make a living off of. So um, as far as the job hunt goes, I have been uh, approved to drive for Uber and Lyft. Um, I had an interview at a gym in Oakland to be a uh, trainer. Uh, which went really well, and uh, one of my former managers from the restaurant that closed down um, reached out to me and offered me a serving gig at a at his new spot in Oakland. So uh, good news on the job front, but even better news uh, when it comes to chasing down my goals and my passions. Um, this has been a really good couple of days. Um, I'm recording this on Sunday. July the 24th, and um, hoping to have this edited and ready to air tomorrow, Monday the 25th. Um, I will be waking up at 3.30 in the morning on Monday to work out, which has to happen regardless of how early I have to be up. It just has to happen. I Some people need their morning coffee. I need to work out. It's how I wake up. It's how I set the tone for the day. doesn't matter how much or how little sleep I get. It has to happen. So I will be up at 3.30 in the morning so that I can work out and escape the San Francisco Bay Area before traffic gets bad so that I can drive down to L.A. 
um, for the for a callback for a commercial that I drove down to L.A. for on Friday. So this will be the second drive to L.A. in four days. Um, but, you know, it's it sucks waking up that early. Um, I'm tired from driving all day, 12 hours round trip and 760-some-odd miles. Um, but there are moments when I'm either making that drive or working out in the morning or, you know, it's there. there are certain moments where I'm just kind of like, I'm doing it. I'm fucking doing it. Like I am, I'm chasing down what I want and there's really, I'm not going to let anything fucking stop me. So, uh, and you're going to hear some similar moments from Brett, uh, in our interview, um, coming up here very shortly. Um, so excited about the callback tomorrow. This is pretty much as far into the audition process as I can get without actually booking the gig. So this should be the last time they see me until either I hear that they want to book me or I'll never hear from them and I'll just move on to the next thing. Um, also, I received word that I am one of the 32 finalists in Dwayne Johnson's Rock the Promo contest. Um, I submitted a 45-second promo as Brosif Joe Brody, the host of Hood Slam. I also host Nightclub Fight Club in Sacramento, uh, Wrestling's Best of the West in the Fresno area, and uh, Wrestling Pro Wrestling in Los Angeles. And so I'm just very excited to be a part of this competition. It could be some great exposure. Um, And, you know, The Rock is uh, literally the highest paid actor in the world right now. And so I don't know if there's any better radar to be on right now for somebody who is both dabbling in professional wrestling and into as many other avenues of entertainment as possible as the rocks radar. So very excited about that. Um, Friday was a long day and a, but a really good day. Tomorrow's going to be a long day and, uh, hopefully a really good day. So the grind rolls on and, uh, I'm excited to get this podcast in. Um, I'm excited to start doing this with some regularity. I would like a new episode to be dropping every Monday, just kind of when people are at their most fuck Monday mode, I guess. Like Mondays just suck for a lot of people because it's when you have to return to the grind or work. So, um, you know, if you've got time to kill on your commute, if you're on the train and need something to listen to, then, you know, check out the podcast. Tag a friend on uh, social media who thinks who you think might need to hear it. Uh, speaking of which... There are ways you can support this podcast. Um, you can follow me on social media. Uh, just type in A period, J period, K I R S C H on Facebook. Uh, shoot me a friend request. You can like my public page. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at AJ Kirsch. And you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash I am AJ Kirsch. I know in the first episode I said not a lot's going to be happening with the YouTube channel. But since I was accepted into the Rock the Promo competition, uh, all of the promos that will be a part of that competition, I will be uploading on my YouTube channel. So you should subscribe to that. Um, As far as this podcast goes, you can go on to iTunes. You can uh, give it a rating. uh, You can write a review. And like I said, share it on Facebook and uh, Twitter with somebody who you think might want to hear it. Uh, episode one, I interviewed Joaquin Lowe, a lifelong friend of mine who earlier this year became a published author for the first time. And, uh, I'm interviewing Brett Kavanaugh this episode. Uh, you know, he wants to make it as a professional musician. So if you know an aspiring professional writer, an aspiring professional musician, point him out to this podcast. They might learn a thing or two. 
Um, if you want to support monetarily, then that's awesome, and I really appreciate that. Um, if you'd like to do that, you can go to Pro Wrestling Tees, that's T-E-E-S dot com, search Brosif, and you will have your choice of over a dozen Brosif Joe Brody t-shirts, um, everything from G.I. Bro to the Big Lebroski to San Francisco Bro, Brooklyn, Guns and Broses, Bro Buffet, uh, Bro and Out Burger, uh, Network and Chill. There's a smattering of different designs. No matter what you're into, something there will likely grab your attention. So search Brosif on ProWrestlingTees.com, and for every purchase you make, I actually get a little slice of that. Um, if you are any on any kind of fitness regimen, uh, if you're a weightlifter, if you're an athlete, if you're a runner, if you do yoga, um, some type, if you are involved in an athletically in a physically demanding performance, uh, you are likely to see the results you want to see a lot sooner if you use smart supplementation. And I mean protein powder, I mean branched-chain amino acids, a fat burner, a testosterone booster, um, glutamine to repair your muscles faster. Um, and you can get all of those at dynamicmuscle.com. That's dynamic with a K at the end, not a C. Dynamicmuscle.com. Uh, use code AJ Kirsch. That's AJ K I R S C H at checkout, and uh, you can save ten percent on your entire order. Everything, everything on there, uh, supplements and apparel. Um, and for everything sold that uses that uh, discount code, I actually get a little slice of that as well. Um, if you'd like to sponsor the podcast, if you have something you want to plug, if you have a show coming up, something you want to advertise, uh, or if you want to book me to host or provide live commentary for a wrestling show. Uh, if you have, um, if you're in need of a public speaker, if you need an MC, if you need somebody to host an event, shoot me an email to aj.kirsch at hotmail.com. And, uh, let's talk. Let's see if we can work something out. Um, upcoming events. Where can you catch me doing stuff? Uh, you can support me by buying a ticket to one of the shows that I host. You can catch me in Sacramento on Wednesday, July 27th, hosting Nightclub Fight Club, Botch at the Beach 16, Simmer Suzzle. That's right, Simmer Suzzle. Uh, 21 and over wrestling show at District 30 in downtown Sacramento. You can look up Nightclub Fight Club on Facebook for more information. Um, Thursday, August the 4th, I will be hosting Wrestling Pro Wrestling Presents The Legend of Curly's Wrestling in Van Nuys, California, 21 and over pro wrestling show. I'll be hosting as Brosif Joe Brody. Look up Wrestling Pro Wrestling on Facebook for more information. And you have to RSVP on the event page to get in. It's kind of an exclusive thing. Um, and, of course, Friday, August the 5th, first Friday in August, mother fucking hood slam at the Oakland Metro Opera House, 21 and over. Don't bring your fucking kids. I host as your commentator, ring announcer, and MC for the evening, Brosif Joe Brody, and I'm going to bro your fucking mind. Um, with all that being said, let's get into the interview. Brett Kavanaugh, lead singer and keyboardist of the Hood Slam Band and uh, on the path to become a professional musician. Um, our paths first crossed when I came on with Hood Slam in early 2012, and we've seen each other just about every first Friday ever since. 
And um, recently, he's been helping me out with vocal lessons because when I'm hosting any of these wrestling shows, providing the commentary, essentially, I'm yelling for three hours straight, and my voice has uh, taken a beating for it. So he's been really great about helping me with different techniques and how to kind of explore my voice a little bit more and use it in a way that will preserve it uh, so that I'm not waking up sounding like Batman the next day. Just is. Um, so yeah, without any further ado, let's uh, get right into my interview with the lead singer of the Hood Slam band, Brett Kavanaugh. All right, we're recording. Check one, two. Yeah. Yeah. All right, welcome back to Find Your Grind, and I'm here with Brett Kavanaugh, the uh, lead singer and keyboardist of the Hood Slam band and um, San Francisco Bay Area metal band Nephilim, and uh, just a smattering of other projects, right? I mean, Some you got other a things ton of things there, going yeah. on. Reggae project out of San Francisco. Does that have a name yet? Lior Ben Hur. Yeah. Okay, cool. It's a dude's name. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the other in, name was even le- uh, more confusing. So, what was the other name? Sol Tavel, which is like a Spanish word and a Hebrew word, which nobody could get right. So, yeah, ditched it. Okay, all right. Um, but yeah, ton of stuff going on. Um, and uh, you've been helping me out lately with. Um, voice lessons, with vocal lessons, with trying to get yeah. my voice right, um, as I call Hood Slam as Brosive Joe Brody, and it's been helping. Like, I've already noticed improvement after shows. I'm not nearly as hoarse the day after, and even during shows, if I even have just, like, a half a second or to pause and just be like, how can I say what I want to say without destroying my voice? That's a good thing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and it's been helping a lot. Good, good. I'm glad it has. Um and I appreciate you helping me out with that. And um, sure. but you know you've you've got uh, dreams to be a professional musician, and yeah. you have had an unbelievable uh, trek into making that happen. And I kind of want to get into that, but I want to start at the very beginning and just be kind of like you know what first drew you to music in the first place. Perhaps it's best that we start at the beginning. Yes, let's do that. Uh, first, yeah. So, I I mean, even as a kid, I was, I was into music. Uh, I was always listening to oldies and like classic rock and way into it. Um, some point in like middle school, a friend of mine, old friend of mine, Trevor Pudvan gave me like, he had some older brother and an older cousin and they were all into like the hard rock, like corn and Limp Bizkit oh and Deftones. I remember and like, those days. That was yeah, high school. Right? This, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I once I heard that and like just the energy that some of those bands brought with the distorted guitars and the like really loud drums and the screaming vocals, you know, I just like I fell in love with it, you know, and I started daydreaming about being the being the guy on stage, you know, yeah. like I, I sort of just had that in my mind at that point, and so. Around like probably 15 or 14, some of my friends got guitars or drum kits, you know, and so like I bought a microphone and we'd go and we'd just like botch these covers, <laughs> dude. We would just murder these songs, like pummel them into the ground and it was probably awful. Like covering corn and Limp Bizkit yeah, and the like. Yeah, and yeah, Deftones, uh, System of a Down, all that yeah. shit. And uh, just 
probably like atrocious. Like it was like I can promise you it was gross. Yeah. It was like not even fun to listen to. But we had fun doing it. Yeah. You know, it was uh it was uh, it was definitely a learning process. Some of us were picking it up quicker than others, but um Is that how you decided who's gonna play what? Like you're just like, Well, I bought a guitar and I got drums. And- uh, yeah, at that point it's like you know, the kid that bought the drums is the drummer, right? Yeah. He's the one who spent he's, the money on his it. His drums. His, his mom <laughs> spent the money on it, you know? So, like, and he had the space to do it or whatever. So you had certain friends. It was always the drummer's house you went to because they obviously had the coolest parents that are going to let them bang on that shit all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> but they also had the space for it. So typically there was space for a couple of amps and whatnot. Right. Um, you said some were, some were picking it up quicker than others. Would it... Was it easy to just kind of listen to what you guys are doing and be like, okay, if we actually ever do anything with this, we got to have a talk with you because I don't know how good you think you are, but yeah. No, nah, no. Nah. Nah. Well, at that point, no. It was, I mean, we were all so bad that it was <laughs> hard to see who was worse than the, the next guy. Yeah, you know so you weren't, I mean? even, you weren't even thinking yet about, like, let's actually get a band together. Not really. It was, like, yeah, I mean, you know, you're like, well, I know this guy plays bass, and I know he plays guitar, and I know he's got drums, so let's, let's the four of us get together, and we'll start, you know, we'll play some some songs and yeah you know you find people that are into the same music yada 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 so that i mean it was, at that point i feel like it was really a rotating cast of pretending to play music you know like yeah. for fun and uh i mean we were trying we were putting our hearts into it but it was it was uh very childish you right know? well so how do you go from uh just and getting together and having a good time and rocking out and just making noise essentially to putting the thought and the inclination into being like, let's actually polish this up a little bit. Like let's try to get an understanding of what we're doing, not just do it to enjoy doing it. Well, yeah. So eventually you kind of, I found a few people that were into the same music and that were practicing enough to like play a handful of songs, you know, like they had a a repertoire, you know, and so we got together and we'd like we'd have a set list and we'd t- sort of hammer those songs out and it became a little bit more organized like in high school and afterwards I guess but um and then you'd like run into one guy that was actually like really fucking good at drums yeah. and you were like holy shit like that's that okay like that's the next level we could do that you know and so you you kind of start to put in a little more effort when you like compare yourself to this friend of yours that is now like shredding balls and right. you're like, oh fuck, I need to. I want to be that guy. Yeah, dude, I want to do that. Like, <laughs> I want to be the guy who's not that. sucking. <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I always wanted it seriously, but didn't start working at it seriously. Kind of for the first reason was that I like you know all I wanted to sing, I wanted to do vocals, right? But there's no like. You're not gonna get a metal vocal teacher <laughs> yeah. to teach a 15 year old kid how to destroy his voice. You know what I mean? So there was not a whole lot of avenues for me other than those rehearsals and those like jam sessions. Yeah. Um, but eventually in college, um, which was where? Uh, Pasadena City College okay. was. I left Pasadena High School and went there. Um, my first, I think my first year, it was like 2001 or something, uh, I took an African drum class and it was, um, this dude from Nigeria who was like the sickest fucking drummer ever. And, um, he was just teaching us all these like traditional Yoruban 
African songs. And I picked it up really fast, mm-hmm. like m- faster than the other kids. I mean, most none of the kids in there were music majors. It was kind of one of those classes that like... I need a know, couple units, so... Right, like, oh, whatever. it counted as an art thing, or like, I'm a white hippie with dreadlocks, so I'm <laughs> going to take that hand drumming class, you know? Must be great at Burning Man. Right, right, <laughs> which I didn't, wasn't even a thing at that <laughs> point, I don't think. Not for me, anyway. But, um, yeah, it's, at that point, I sort of realized, like, okay, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. Like, yeah. Like, I already had the drive. I already had the the passion for it. But in that moment, I was like, you know, I became his, like, teacher's pet kind of favorite pupil. And I took the class for, like, fucking five years. They, they <laughs> Eventually, they were like, oh, you can't take that class anymore. And I, I call him up and I tell him, like, oh, I'm not going to be in it this semester. And he's like, what? <laughs> like, no. And he's just, like, basically just told me to show up. And, yeah. like, fuck the class. Just come play drums it's like all right cool but regardless like sort of going through that and and actually excelling at it and um you know being good at like just inherently just picking it up um really sort of gave me the confidence to to think that i could really achieve something musically and then were you hell-bent on staying in Pasadena to figure that out or were you just like yeah wherever the wherever it takes me like how did you Eventually, I guess what I'm getting at is how did you fall into uh, the guys that you play with now in Nephilim, the right. Slam band? And Okay, know. so somewhere along there, yeah, uh, I, was playing, I was playing African drums in the drum ensemble, and then I had a, like a grunge acoustic cover band called Allison Ropes. <laughs> Not quite as heavy as Alice in Chains because uh, it's it acoustic. Was, it was pretty ridiculous. It was it was a lot of fun. We we mostly got way too drunk to play, but those guys were actually good, and uh, I really like started honing my vocals with them. And um, somewhere at Pasadena City College, in like auto shop class, I met Brian Burgess, mm-hmm. and uh, he's the guitar player for Hood Slam Band and Nephilim. Uh, he was very serious about guitar, played. Still plays every day, and um, we clicked. You know, we just we had a similar taste in music. We became friends. We actually studied abroad in England together and cool. got shit faced all over Europe at like 19 years old. Oh god! And that, that sort of bonded our friendship there yeah. over like a thousand beers in 20 countries. <clears throat> That'd be the way to do it. Yeah, totally. Congratulations on surviving that, by the way. Jesus. Yeah, that was uh, that was intense. That's for another podcast. Ireland, St. Patrick's Week. Yeah. Fucking Amsterdam twice. And yeah, it was brutal. Wow. But uh, regardless, um, he and I started playing together. Uh, I joined one of his bands, uh, promptly got kicked out of it. Ooh, why? Uh, because I was tone deaf. I was like terrible at vocals. <laughs> you still suck. I know. This is like, this is several years later. Um, like, I don't know, five or six or seven years into that. Wow. Screaming, you know, and, uh, I hadn't gotten very far really. Yeah. Uh, I could play drums pretty, pretty good at that point, but, um, I would, I joined that band as a vocalist and we rehearsed for like, I don't know, two months, played the first show and, you know, the guys had, um, had said to me beforehand, like, we got some concerns with your vocals, yada, yada. Mm. Like, let's play this show, and we'll see how it goes. Played a show. I thought we did great. Yeah. 
Clearly, we didn't do great. <laughs> uh, the consensus and, yeah, was otherwise. Promptly booted out of the band, and that was like a that was a pretty brutal wake up call. You know, um, if you are not paying attention, you think you're doing it all right, and then someone comes along and slaps you in the face and is like, "Wake up, dude! You're not you yeah, know, you're not quite where you thought you were." You know, um, I started taking vocal lessons, um, just to sing normally, obviously, like most people aren't going to teach you how to scream because right. it's not really, not really a thing that people do. But, um, that, that helped immensely. Um, and around that, I guess around that time is when I started the whole grunge cover project, which was cool because I could like play some hand drums and sing at the same time and like really trying to multitask and like, just pushing the boundaries a little bit, you know, because I had gotten comfortable just like playing djembe or whatever. Yeah. And being good at that. You know, you get you get in this pond, you get in this the small pond and the big fish you you become the big fish mm -hmm. and then you just stay there because it's comfortable. Right. You know, and it it's scary to leave. Like, you know, it's like when I was really young, like I was, I thought I was all good until like I met that one friend who was just killer at drums, and I was like, oh shit, I'm not that good. You Bigger know? fish, right? Yeah, yeah, the same, same kind of thing, you know. Um, so yeah, you move on, you fight, you you realize that you got to push harder, and you keep going. Yeah. Um, and as as it was at that point that um, I was like, all right, I'm gonna go to school for music. I'm gonna like, you know, it's time, you know. So I. Finished up the GE, and when I was trying to do that, my friends were showing up with cases of beer and fuck. fucking weed, and I'm like, dude, I got algebra homework. <laughs> you know, they they're were like, like, fuck yeah, you. Fuck your algebra homework, bro. This is a beer bong. <laughs> like, All right. So at that point, I kind of decided, like, hey, maybe I should leave L.A., because this is just hard to focus Yeah. with all this partying, you know? I mean, we, Brian and I were the only kids like the only people our age of our both of our friend groups that had their own place so it was constant you know it was like you, you couldn't escape it never ended you know so i was that's when i started i was like wow fuck it i should i should get out of town and i had already been up to san francisco to meet my buddy paul wood who was going to college up here and uh, i stayed with him in his dorms a couple times and i was like man this city is cool yeah. i would love to fucking check it out so I applied to San Francisco State as a history major because you can't get into the music program without auditioning okay. obvious, for obvious reasons. You know, they don't want to like they, they want you to know what you're doing. Right. Um, but I don't hey, know how to read first music. Day. Yeah. So so I was in a predicament. You know, I didn't know how to read music. All I knew how to do was play hand drums and like play by ear, sing by ear, you know, and which, sing rolling. <laughs> drunk as shit <laughs> fucking loud as shit yeah they don't there's no major for drunk and loud as shit actually I it found that be, out though, the fucking way. should be yeah well wait till I get into fucking teaching position oh <laughs> <laughs> rock and change roll that curriculum. yeah <laughs> uh well <laughs> so yeah I got into this, I got into college I moved up here I like wrapped up the last couple of class requirements to like be in school in the summer and was like ready in the fall. And I just, I kind of like went into the music program and like made friends with the faculty, like anyone in there, you know, just like the people in the office was my first, you know, there's a couple of cute girls in the office. So yeah. I like made friends with them 
And they like basically snuck me into a couple of classes because you're not supposed to take any music classes if you're not a music major. So somehow I snuck into the first theory class and a percussion class, like uh, mallet instruments, xylophone, marimba, okay. that kind of shit. Um, they did some timpani and snare too, but it was mostly mallets. Um, and the teacher really just befriended me, and um, you know, I was honest with him. I told him what was going on, what I wanted to do, and where I was at, and he basically said, you know, if you will treat your final in this class as the audition, if you promise me that you're going to work your ass off because you're starting behind, you know, you're, you don't know how to read, you right. know, like you're, you've never touched these instruments before. Like it's going to be an insane amount of work. It's going to be really difficult. And like, if you really want to do that, I'll, I'll pull some strings for you and I'll, I'll let that be your audition. Yeah. Um, and so no pressure. No, no. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. No big deal. Just don't fail or your life is over. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that happened. Uh, I fucking practiced that piece. I don't even know, dude. Probably you still like, have it memorized. <laughs> uh, I don't even remember what it was at this oh, point. It's just like, as soon it's as you were like, done, sounds like any other final, you get it done and you're just like, click, forgot all that shit. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, at the same time, like as soon as I was done with that, it was like, open the gates into fucking hellhole of work for yeah. the next three years, you know? So, yeah, that was that, that. That memory is long gone. I don't even remember what that song was, but um, I, I remember practicing the shit out of it and nailing it. And he was like, "All right, cool. Like, you're in. Welcome so, aboard." Yeah. So I was like, next semester, boom, full fucking, you know, twelve or fourteen units of music classes, which is crazy because music classes are one or two units. Jesus. Like. All of them, yeah. So, like, even if it's, like, a music history or something, like, you rarely get a class that was three units. Right. So you end up taking, like, nine fucking classes. Holy shit. To, to fill out a semester. And, like, like I said, I had just finished my GE stuff, so I had nothing like that that I needed to take. It was all music curriculum. So it was... How like, did you not get immediately burned out? Or did you? Cause that's, no, I mean, no, no, no. It was, I mean, you, I mean, I was so fucking pumped, dude. Like, come on, I just moved across the state. Yeah. Fucking left everyone I knew, found a fucking dope apartment in the middle of San Francisco, got into the school I wanted to go into, somehow snuck into the music program. And I'm like, this is my fucking purpose. Right. You know, like I was on fire in that moment. Like I was fucking ready to You probably go, rolled dude. up your sleeves. Yeah. And we're like, fucking, let's do this. Yeah. So I, I dug in, man. I was, I was doing fucking tons of studying and tons of practicing. I was in there all the time. And there's a there's a curricular course called ear training, which is kind of like arguably like the most important course that anyone took in that program. I, I mean, I don't know about other schools, but at least there, the teacher was like so fucking hardcore. Yeah. Um, and it, so half the class was was about um, he would play a tune and you would have to write it down. And the rest of it was sight singing. He would hand you notes that you'd never seen before, and you had to sing it to him. Wow. So it was just, it was really just connecting the visual music to sounds in your brain and being able to reproduce that. It's like learning a language. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Wow. Um, and he was fucking so strict and, and mean 
he was fucking mean. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember, like, people were petrified. That, that class alone made people quit, for sure. Wow. For the first whole semester, I was, like, terrified of this guy. And every day, there was, you know, I don't know, 10 homework assignments. They were very short little pieces. And every day, he would call on. If someone didn't raise their hand, he would randomly pick people to sing the homework assignment. For a grade, right then and there, on the spot. Yeah, and but wow. mind you, this is eight fucking a.m. <laughs> eight in the morning. Shit. I yeah, I'd get up at six over in the fucking Castro yeah. to like hop on a train and get to school by like seven thirty, so I could at least get into a piano and start like having some noises come out of my mouth before I was graded. Right. For them, yeah. So it was awful, but um, anyway, um. I was like putting off singing something and putting off singing it. And like, I knew I was going to get called on. So I finally was just like, I'm going to pick one of these things and I'm going to practice it a hundred fucking times. And then I'm just going to raise my hand, you know, go knock it out of the park. Yeah. I'm like, fuck it. And like, and he, always, you know, there was always a thing. Like if you raised your hand, he was a little bit less strict on you, you know, it was because like, you're volunteering. You're like, right. oh, I got this. Yeah. And it, I don't know if it was what deliberate or what, but regardless, I like, I fucking, I sang this little fucking, 20 note piece for like it's like eight bars dude i sang it like a fucking hundred times at home and i raise my hand and i sing it and he's like perfect you sang that song perfectly but you did not mind the volume changes and this and that and you had no expression seven out of ten seventy percent bam wow and I was like fucking dumbfounded, you know. I was like, "Are you serious?" Like, I—I I mean, I've been literally just sweating and like shitting my pants over this like for <laughs> oh, days. God. And I finally do it, and he's like, "You know, the first thing out of his mouth is like perfect." I'm like, so you're, cool, yeah. All he's right, like, seven out of ten average. And I was like, "Fuck, seventy percent." Like, oh man, I thought—I mean, I thought I was so focused on just hitting the goddamn notes because, like I said, I had a huge problem with tone. Yeah. Before I got to the school, so like. I was super focused on it, but that was like, that was the ultimate wake up call. That was like, yeah, your best is still not good enough. He's the big fish. You still, oh man, yeah, he's the biggest fish. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah it was it was a, another eye opening experience, you know. And from that moment on, I I would go to school on Saturday and practice. Like I didn't do anything. The only thing, the only time I ever left the city was to go to Oakland and practice with Brian and Mike. Right. Um, well, it seems like, I mean, over the the couple stories that we've heard so far, it seems like there's always been somebody that you come across where you're just like, either is pushing you to get better, or you see them do their thing, and you're like, that's how good I need to be if yeah. I'm going to make this happen. Yeah. And well, you know, I mean, you don't know what good is until you see it. Yeah. You know, and that's that's like. That's what I experienced over and over again, you know? I mean, I could I could hear all the bands on the radio and shit and not think twice about it, but when you, like, you start, you're, you really compare yourself to somebody else, you know, or you're in their judgment because they're in that sort of position of power, right. it's it's very, it's a rude awakening, yeah. you know? So when you got that 7 out of 10, you thought you nailed it, and, I mean, you, you felt like you nailed it. You yeah. heard perfect was the first thing coming out of his mouth, and I'm sure that was immediately just, like, pyro going off, and then that 7 out of 10 kind of brought you back down to earth. So after that wake-up call right there, what was the next thing? I mean, you're going to school on Saturdays now. 
Um, what did that wake up call eventually lead you to playing more with uh, Brian and Mike? That no, that actually led me to play with him less because I was oh. in fucking school all the time. Um, and and that was, I mean, I was like hiding in the building to like to wait for the guy would leave to lock the doors so I could keep practicing after 10 p.m. and shit. And I wasn't the only one doing it. Um, but yeah, that was like, I mean, the next three years were just nose to the grindstone and it was, just it was impossible. In, in music class. Yeah. And like, yeah, there was all kinds of classes. Um, yeah. And, and that, that was just, that shit blew by. But every day when I was leaving, I was exhausted. I'm like dragging my feet trying to get to the train and I just had this huge fucking grin on my face. You know, I'm just like, I'm fucking doing it. You know, yeah. doing what I've thought about doing for so long now, you know, what I've wanted to do. I'm like, I'm doing it one fucking step at a time. Yeah, you know? it doesn't matter how tired you are or how much work you have to do. It's like, you know that that's what you need to do in order to make it fucking happen. Yeah. Yeah, so there, I mean, there was there was more wake-up calls. Uh, I... I'll try to fast forward to uh, to the Hood Slam references, I guess. Um, yeah, eventually I graduated, um, moved directly into the Victory from graduation. For those and, of you who uh, don't know, the Victory is the Victory Warehouse on, what is it, San Pablo? 24th and, and San Pablo. 24th yeah. and San Pablo in Oakland, uh, which would, uh, would you know, spoiler alert, would later become the birthplace of Hood Slam. But just this, this warehouse that you said before we started recording, that Brian yeah, lived there. Brian acquired, well, the lease in 2008 or 2009. Okay. Um, it's on a Don't Wake Daddy card somewhere. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Very important document. <laughs> exactly. It's written down somewhere. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure he remembers it. But, yeah, I, I gradu- graduated 2010, so I moved in there in, like, January of 2011, but he had been there for a couple of years at that point, and it was an empty fucking shell of a building. There yeah. was nothing in there. Any art? Was there any of the no, paintings? Nothing? That. Just none a bare ass? No. The kitchen wasn't there. The wall wasn't there. Yeah. The the pit was there. <laughs> 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 fucking god-awful giant pit. Yeah. The ring covers was there. Nice awkward slant. Yeah. Well, yeah. So that place was just concrete and i-beams pretty much and brian spent a couple of years just building it was he the, the only house. guy in there at the time or were there he other people moved in, in there? with one other guy initially um because that little hallway's got what like four rooms well, okay, or something so or was that not even the, there the rooms were there okay and the bathroom was there okay but that was it got it right so like the bunk above the bathroom wasn't there the you know, the kitchen wasn't there. Nothing was in the kitchen. There was no water heater. They, like, okay. found one on Craigslist. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I remember, like, every fucking couple of weeks, you know, you'd go over there, and, some, you know, there'd be some new fucking thing they'd be all excited about. Like, oh, dude, I stole my dad's pool table. It's like, fucking sweet. You we know, got a fridge we, now. Yeah. Yes. Oh, man, that was a big one. The fridge, the water heater was huge. They were yeah. really pumped. I wasn't living there at the time, but they were super excited. But, uh, but yeah, so he moved in with one other guy, Nick, uh, who was playing with us in Einstein, which was the precursor to the Hoods and Lamp Band. Okay. Um, so it was Mike, Brian, myself, and Nick. Uh, Brian and Nick lived there. Rent went up. They got uh, Natan, 
little buddy got him in there, and then he bounced, and then it just became a rotating cast. I yeah. Mean, I'm sure um, some characters have come through there. Oh, yeah, oh. yeah. Levi Shapiro was in there. Rubang B, the Mad Doctor Love was in there. I was in there. Yeah. Sheik. Sheik Kanabadi was in there. Everybody yeah. everybody had a, a, a little bit of time in there. Um, yeah. So moved moved in there. Wait, where were we? What are we? Uh, we're getting to kind of how you you Brian and uh, Mike started playing together. Um, right. You 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 just moved to Oakland. You graduated. Right, and moved right, to Oakland. Right. So well, actually, we met Mike before I moved there. Um, so Nick, who was Brian's roommate and the bass player of Einstein, uh, Craigslisted for a drummer. Okay. Bam, Mike O'Shea. <laughs> Thank you, Craigslist. <laughs> yeah, right. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's right. Uh, yeah, but we we jammed with him a couple times. We were actually we would jam in uh, Nick's old tattoo parlor down off of 65th Street uh, in San Pabi, pretty much. But uh, must have been a big fucking tattoo parlor. Yeah, it had this whole like w- spot in the back that looked like it used to be a bar or something. Cool. It was a, it was a cool building. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we all got tattoos there. But, uh, yeah, that's how we met Mike. Um, and Mike was already friends with Sheik and every, all the hood slammers, pretty much. Yeah. Um, so at some point, um, I, as long as my recollection is correct, uh, Sheik was looking for a place to do hood slam. But this was before, this was before even the first show, right? Like, S- Sheik, Sam, had been had this idea of a wrestling show that he wanted to do, but it hadn't been done yet. I'm sure he did. Um, the, the few times that we spoke about it, um, I, I remember just like sort of why he wanted to do it. Um, the, he had mentioned that, you know, it became kind of dull working for some of the companies and they, they didn't want to let him do his ridiculous characters or just ideas for matches. Um, I feel like uh, there was also a concern with just the lack of creativity going on in some of the promotions he was working with. Yeah. Um, but, I, I mean, I don't want to get too deep into that because this is just sort of me recalling... Yeah, yeah, from, your, yeah. from your angle. Yeah, so I, I, I feel like he had been wanting to do uh, his own show with his own people, his own roster, and his own matches and his own characters for a long time. Yeah. Um, I don't really know how long, but my, I get the idea that he had been thinking on it for a while, and eventually uh, Mike put him in contact with Brian and was saying, "Hey, I got my buddy wants to do a show," and Brian had already started doing like punk rock shows out of the Victory Warehouse. That's right. The Victory used to be a venue, or right. I think it's actually even may still be listed on Facebook as a venue. It probably is. <laughs> it's yeah. It. Basically, Brian uh, had a show almost every weekend out of that place, and it it got really fucking rowdy. Yeah, um, yeah. It it became like an underground punk rock venue, so there was just dirty fucking punk kids and like just people throwing glass and fucking fighting. Lawlessness. And, oh my god, it was crazy. Like uh, we had to hire security because it got so fucking out of hand. Yeah. You know, Mike Mace the chick in the face. There's there's a lot of things happened there that we don't need to talk about. Um, 
But, but it, we probably should. That'll be an upcoming episode. I want to talk about all of those things. I'm going to ask Mike. But the short of it is that we had already been throwing shows there. And uh, so Mike was like, hey, my buddy Sam wants to throw a show, a wrestling show, blah, blah, blah. And so Brian was like, hey, can we play? And Sam said, of course. So yeah. That's kind of how the first show happened at the Victory, as far as I remember. Right. Um, it's like six years ago now. So Jesus, it is. I mean, that was that was long before I even came on, and you know, it's it's insane just to think that Hood Slam has actually been around for that long. Like it's, yeah. and I mean, you and you know, guys like, uh, of course, Sam and and Johnny Trinko, Butabi, and uh, just all these guys. I think. Uh, Juice Lee has been around since the very beginning. Like you've oh, yeah. seen this thing grow from just how many people were at the first show? None. <laughs> <laughs> Negative I don't, people. I don't think <laughs> I don't think there was really many to be counted. Um, but you know, again, that was sort of I feel like that was sort of the idea of the show is that we were doing it because we wanted to do it. Yeah. You know, we were doing it because it was fun. We're not doing it for anybody else. Right. You know. Um, so Which is it didn't probably really one of the most punk rock things I've ever heard, <laughs> right? Isn't that kind of the spirit behind punk rock? It's just like, fuck you, we're doing this. Well, yeah, I mean, punk rock's a little, got a very strong ties to like rebellion and standing up against the system. And, yeah. you know, there's a lot of uh, politics that are sometimes tied in with a lot of punk bands. Um, but this was, this was more just to have fun. It wasn't like... I didn't feel like we were standing up against the man. Right. I was like, hey, we're going to fucking get shitty and like have an awesome fucking show. Fuck it. Yeah, let's do it. Um, So, yeah, I mean, shit. The first first several shows, the band was set up in the kitchen, and all the wrestlers were back there, too, behind that door, because, I mean, they still use that as a locker room. Yeah, for the uh, Stoner U shows. Right, right. But the fucking band is like smashed over there in the kitchen, and like <laughs> there's people no are like, space. We're like in the middle of playing. Someone's like, "Hand me a beer, dude." And I'm like, oh, "I can't. I'm busy." <laughs> <laughs> God damn it! Yeah. The, oh man, I was playing this fucking shitty like I don't know, thirty key plastic. You know, like the keyboards that like every kid gets. Sure. Like, when you're gonna like learn music when you're ten. Right. Uh, yeah, I was like playing off of one of those, like, and then like going out of one of Brian's guitar amps or some shit, dude. <laughs> it was so ridiculous, and it was so fun, you know? We yeah. were, like, having to figure it out, you know? It was it's kind of a mind fuck. like, I mean, still is, but I mean, we got it down now, but playing within that context of the show is, like, it's weird, you know? Were you playing any entrance themes at that yeah, point yeah i mean we we wrote the juice lee theme before the first show you did because there was like immediately before it. yeah wow so and you were just like something just think bruce lee with like some badass yeah. wah pedal stuff pretty much oh yeah i was like oh this one scale sounds like kind of like quote unquote asian right you know pentatonic all right cool so Let's do this. It'll, it'll probably you work. Know? Yeah. Like someone started playing a beat or a riff and it just fucking happened. Yeah. And then from that, obviously, um, I mean, I mean, how long until the follow up? Like, I'm sure it was only a matter of time after everybody was like done being hung over and miserable the day after where they're just like, we need to do that again. 
Like this needs this needs to happen again. Well, I'm pretty sure Sam had a plan from the get go. Yeah. Um, it, it was it was like every six weeks, or it was an odd um, interval of time, but it, it wasn't every month. But it was very close. I think it was every six weeks, and. I mean, they add story. Con- they immediately add storylines that continued. I mean, the second show had a character that <laughs> existed only because of the storyline that happened in the first one. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, someone who became a zombie because they had died in the first one. Right. You know, because wrestling. Uh, right. <laughs> so, so every six weeks, what are you doing between that time? Uh, because you've still got. I mean, I'm sure that was not the only thing you were working on. No, at the time. no, we we still had other projects. Um, at that time, the bass player was still with us, and we were still calling ourselves Einstein. And so that that project had shows and rehearsals and yeah, you know, original material. So there was yeah, there was a lot of stuff going on. Um, I was also just sort of taking a deep breath from the last like three years of fucking grindstone. Yeah, you earned it. Um, oh, also, I had no fucking money and got out of college and had to deliver food for my rent. So I was like working kind of a lot. Yeah. To I was a minimum fucking wage, based on the fact that I was getting tips, but I wasn't getting tips. So I was pretty much working for Fuck. shit money. Yeah, up in Emeryville and. Like you're supposed to get tipped when you drop something off, and a lot of people will just be like, "Okay, thanks, you fuck would be off." Fucking surprised how many people do not tip the delivery guy. Dickheads. Yeah. Fucking coming from, I just got laid off, so I'm not like <laughs> in it anymore. But coming from years of waiting on people, if you can hear the sound of my voice, please, for the love of God, tip people who provide you with good service. Or yeah. service period when it's expected. Like, that's just how things are done here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you'd be surprised. I, th- I got $2 per delivery from the company. Okay. And that's, like, pretty much what I got, you know. Ugh. Yeah, every once in a while. I mean, don't get me wrong. It wasn't all the time, but it was, I mean, at least 50% of the people did not tip. Like, every single God. day. That alone is enough to leave a really sour taste in your mouth. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, so I was working a shit job, trying to make ends meet, you know. Oh, I I smashed my collarbone on the fucking ski slopes when I moved in. Like, the, the month that I moved into the victory, I fucking snapped my collarbone, which was which was awful. So, I'm like, yeah, I'm like a fucking gimp. It was, I couldn't, yeah, and I'm like trying to play, like, percussion in the Einstein band, which was, now I'm doing it with one hand, and it was, just, it was ridiculous. How long until... Uh, your involvement with what would become known as the Hood Slam Band kind of became more of a priority. Because, uh, I mean, a lot, again, a lot of people don't realize Hood Slam's been around for six years, and it did not become, no pun intended, the phenomenon that it is today overnight. No, God, no. Um, I don't even remember how long we were in the victory. Probably, like, two years Maybe before jumping like to the metro. Before, yeah, um, Brian and and the rest of us who worked all those shitty punk shows got really burnt out on having to clean up every fucking yeah time a show and deal with the fucking people. I can imagine the victory after a punk show or after one of the early hood slams was just a fucking post-apocalyptic wasteland yeah dude it was it was fucked up <laughs> i mean you you carnage like, yeah pushing a push broom that's just like a mountain of bottles and cans and, and maybe a person and fucking, yeah oh god <laughs> 
Yeah, let's not get into the old victory days. There's a, so many stories there that we we won't end ever. But uh, I'm gonna ask Mikey about that too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so eventually, yeah, the the shows at the Victory stopped, and like right at the same time, um, I don't know how Sam did it, but uh, got into the Metro. Yeah. And um, yeah, it just kind of took off from there, and. It was right around then that the bass player just lost interest in in the show. He, really? Yeah. Jumping from a warehouse to a legit music venue is mm-hmm. when he lost interest. Yeah. Yeah. It's odd timing. I, I mean, any idea why? I think there was drama elsewhere with other with you know members of the band or just life drama, girlfriend. I don't know. Yeah, it could be anything. I, don't I guess. Remember, but um, yeah, for whatever reason, he jumped ship at that point. Um, and then, then I started having to work a lot harder because I had to start playing bass in like the left hand and still sing or whatever. Jesus, um, which is not that easy. Um. Yeah, <laughs> I I have so much respect for any musician. I mean, any musician who can play to the point where they get paid to do it. Hats off. But like anyone who can sing and play guitar at the same time or play drums and sing, like the ability to tap into different parts of your brain and have that translate into signals so that all of it comes out in a way that it sounds like it makes sense just blows my fucking mind. I don't know how fucking Dave Matthews can play the guitar, sing, and do that weird little jig that he does all at the same time. It's yeah. insane. Uh, it's it's just, you know what it is? is doing it every fucking day yeah. for like 20 years. This is this is only the second uh, interview. I don't know what order these are going to actually air, but this is only the second interview I've done for the podcast, and uh, two out of two times that has come up. Like whatever whatever it is that you're doing, you've got to be doing something every day to do it to yeah. get there. Yeah, I mean, ask Brian. That dude plays more than any of us in the band. He plays every fucking day. And, yeah, and he still feels like he doesn't play enough. You know, there's there's some sounds like he's the big fish. <laughs> in a way, oh, I mean, he's a big guy. Physically, physically, yeah, he's, he's a tall man. He's definitely the biggest fish. <laughs> Mike and I are at like five five, and he's like six. <laughs> so yeah, um, but no, I mean, he is definitely the the meat and potatoes of the project. He's like the one that is always always working, always going. Yeah. So what are you working on right now? Oh Jesus. Um, so. The like I said, my reggae band I mentioned is doing really well. Um, and there's we've recorded an album and we're like trying to time when to put it out and when we're gonna have money to push it. And so that's a whole thing. Um, the Hood Slam band has a fuck ton of material that we need to record. Um, and we're probably August or September. We'll put that album. Hood into Slam Jams the, Volume Two. Yeah gonna record that motherfucker nice um i'm pretty sure you can get the first one on birdswillfall.com by the way yeah uh yeah it's either that or i mean there's the hoodslamband.com there's links to it it's on Bandcamp. yeah or you can just go to a show and go to a show and pick up a cd bucks. i mean That's i know the cheapest way to do it yeah and <laughs> it's i mean classics at this point um and since i mean i don't want to wait till the end to plug like shit so it's like you can follow uh, on Twitter at the Hood Slam Band. You can like the Hood Slam Band on Facebook. Uh, and since we were talking about the Victory, you should like the Victory Warehouse on Facebook too. There's a ton of cool shit that goes down that goes down there. Um, 
Yeah, it's a cool spot. It's much more intimate than the yeah. Metro. You know, the Metro is just so grandiose, which is cool. But uh, there's something. I mean, you, I feel like you actually end up talking to people at the victories. Yeah, because you're kind of smashed into each other. You know? It is. It is a more intimate feel, and I'm stoked for those shows because uh, uh, every third Thursday. Uh, Stoner U, which is the wrestling school that the Stoner Brothers run, their students put on a student showcase show. So it's like they actually get experience wrestling in front of a live crowd. And I have a feeling, I mean, so I'm told that it feels like Hood Slam from back in the day, where it's just more intimate. Everybody's there to have fun, but at the same time now, everybody's there to get better. Yeah. Yeah, so. it feels it feels like the old days a little bit. That's cool. Yeah. Um Turn up the ridiculous to eleven. Yeah, <laughs> and then uh, so you've got the Hood Slam Band, which is every first Friday of the month at the Oakland Metro, and sometimes other places and other times. Yeah, you've got uh, the Reggae Project. Is Nephilim? What is the status of Nephilim right now? Which, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the same lineup as the Hood Slam Band, just under a different name and uh, playing different music. There are additional musicians in that project. Okay, and. Those demons have been resting since October. Word. Um, the 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 Nordic Wanderer has wandered and not come back. So we're sort of on a hiatus, which is uh, kind of good at this point. We're just really busy. Yeah. Um, you know, Hood Slam's going crazy. So that's that's a lot of work right there. Um, I'm also recording a bunch of solo like piano pieces and trying to get that out right so and you're also helping people with their voice work i mean you're helping me you're helping uh mary jane lawless yeah and uh is that something that you want to put over real quick i mean i know how busy you are but like if people wanted to reach out to you with getting Um, vocal training it wouldn't hurt to ask but i mean i mean you know we we rarely we meet like once every two or three weeks that's about right you know what i mean it's not it's probably not Probable. <laughs> <laughs> well put. <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't mind. It's like put it out there. It's no, it doesn't hurt to ask. But yeah, um, yeah at this point, I'm not trying to like make a career out of teaching. Right. You know. Right. Um, it's just sort of fun, and I feel like it's giving back a little bit. You know, sort yeah. of. Everybody's got to share their talents. You know. Right. Pass along that knowledge. Yeah. Um, well, as we start to bring it to the clo- to a close, I don't know if I'm uh, going to make a habit of this, but I want to. I'm still kind of feeling out how I the direction I want to take the podcast. But I want to finish with a series of questions, and the first one uh, that I'm I'm going to finish every interview with the same questions until I don't know, figure out something better to do or whatever. Um, first one is what consistently over the in the course of this entire trek into becoming a professional musician, what has consistently proved to be the biggest challenge? Getting good. <laughs> Getting better. Yeah. You know, it's um, it's really easy to, like, forget how far you've come and, and just... It's, it's easy to beat yourself up, for sure. Um, but, you know, like I said, it's, it's easy to... Uh, to be the big fish in the small pond and not proceed. Yeah. And then it's also easy to beat yourself up and think like, oh, I'm not I'm not good enough. I'm not, you know, because you're comparing yourself to fucking Dimebag and you're just comparing yourself to all these amazing fucking musicians, these like virtuosos. And, you know, you 
fucking shit on yourself because you're not that good, you right. know. But that's not the point. You can't make that the point. You gotta you're you and there's no changing that. You gotta just fucking be better than you were yesterday. Yeah. You know, and that's it's hard to do that sometimes. It's hard to to fucking wanna do it. Maybe you work the fucking sixteen hour day and you fucking don't want to do anything but go to sleep. You know? So maybe you get up early in the next morning and you fucking just get half an hour in to practice. And that's that's sometimes really fucking hard. Yeah. You know, if you've got multiple bands and a full-time job and a girlfriend or fucking a social life or whatever, you know, you're, I mean, you're talking just trying to squeeze a half hour in somewhere is, is really going to make the difference. Yeah. Well put. Um, second question, uh, second of three questions is, was there any point throughout this trek that you were just like, I don't want to fucking do this anymore. Like what was, was there a low where you, that was just, you didn't know how you were going to come out of it? Uh, there was a, there was a couple. Yeah. Um, one, one like really low point was while I was still in college, my, my percussion instructor, um, was really not happy with my progress because I was, I mean, I was in piano, voice, ear training, theory. I mean, I'm in fucking 10 classes and I'm holding it together. I'm passing everything. But that was the one thing that kept getting put on the back burner was like my main instrument. Yeah. You know? Um, and so he was getting frustrated with my lack of progress. And, you know, he like sat me down and said like, maybe this isn't for you. You know, like maybe you should wow. quit the program and do another major, you know? And like, he's, he was serious, you know, and uh, that fucking hurt, you know. I mean, here I am. I've already had all these wake-up calls. I got to try harder. I got to do more. I got to work harder. And I'm still fucking not quite cutting it, you yeah. know. Um, and in hindsight, that was really just based on the fact that I was juggling so many things, you know, because a lot of people who get there already know their instrument or they or they're not tone deaf or they <laughs> already know how to read. They're not trying to tackle piano and all the everything else at the same time, you know. So they're saying it. they weren't starting from square one. Right, right. Um my ear training teacher who I spent a lot of office hours in his office um trying to get it get it down and he uh he said something to the extent of when I told him I was like, oh yeah, I didn't I didn't didn't know how to read when I got here. And he's like, what? That's crazy. Yeah. He's like, that's like a, that's like a math major not knowing how to add, add, subtract, or multiply. Like, what are you thinking? Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's like, You're like I don't know. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do it, man. <laughs> yeah. Know. So, yeah, that that was that was really brutal. Um, I, I had a really awful experience um, with a band that I really liked playing with. Um, playing hand percussion but i was like the only drums in it so it was actually really fun um and we recorded one album sounded great we got even better we spent another two years writing stuff and we got on the studio and we dropped a bunch of money and we recorded we tracked all the instruments and we're like you know we needed to do vocals and solos so we're maybe halfway done with the workload and uh the the leader of the band just dropped it just like fuck just and he had he had his reasons, and I understood those reasons. But um, I mean, that was, that was a lot of time and energy that I put into this this album 
that was never going to happen, you know, mm-hmm. and I pleaded with the guy and was like, look, man, like, I, it's really important to me that, that we finish this, you know, like, and he's like, why? And I'm like, well, because we fucking started it, you know, like, because it's, this is a, this is a piece of our history yeah. that, you know, is almost done and will be permanent if you just finish it, you know, and he's, nah, couldn't do it, walked away. So that was like this huge punch in the stomach for me, you know, I was just like, fuck, took me down to my knees, you know, I mean, it was like years of work. You know, not to say that it was, you know, my practice just went out the window those years, but it was like a lot of time and energy spent on writing these particular songs. And you wanted something to to show for it, yeah. like that you could like point to and be like, we did that. Yeah. I just I just want to look back at the end of my life and have my fucking discography and be like, you can follow my life from fucking like twenty years old to when I'm now, you yeah. know. And and he uh, took they took that away from me. And that was like Fuck. that was a huge bummer, and I, I actually was about to sell my drums because um, I was like I was I don't know I was just freaked out man I was like you were rattled I was depressed yeah I was like oh, I'm just, just gonna fucking sell them like what are, you know what do I have these for I'm not gonna fucking play anymore and like that is like literally the moment when Leor Ben Hur called me and was like hey I'm starting a reggae band I want you to play in my band and I was like all right I guess I'm not selling these <laughs> drums <laughs> fuck. Uh, but it's funny how shit happens like that, you know? I yeah. mean, like, right at the moment when you're like, fuck this, I've had enough, I'm giving up, there's, like, some other reason or th- reason for you to keep going, yeah. you know? Something that happens that turns you back on. Yeah, you know? and then uh, kind of leading into the final question is, where are, you've got the reasons that kind of make you want to want to turn it around or something happens where you're just like, I guess I'm not done with this yet. So now looking back and, and currently with the things you're involved with, what are the moments where you just kind of, even when you're in the thick of it and you're in that space and the sweat's pouring off and you're just screaming out at the world, what are those moments where you just kind of like inside, you just take a snapshot, you look around, and you're just like, this is why. <laughs> That happens at least once every hood slam. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it doesn't even have to be about, I mean, sometimes it's a good crowd reaction, you know, uh, or sometimes, sometimes it's a look from one of the workers or you, you know, where it's like you just do something off the cuff and somebody else gets it and they laugh. And it's that, that, that fucking connection that like, Oh, I got it. Yeah. He, he got it. <laughs> yeah. He fucking that's got it. That's for us. That's yeah. You know, that's like, that shit's awesome. You know, like the best example of that was when that, um, New Orleans brass band tried to come in to hood Oh yeah. And fuck. from next door at the, uh, at the old Metro, this small army of like sad face clowns or they, something. Uh, were they dressed up? I don't know. They even, had like makeup know. on or something. This was this was it's the same place as that house's Tourette's Without Regrets, which usually happens the night before Hood Slam. And I don't know if they were also performed there or if there was some kind of peripheral show going next door. My guess is there's there's at least one band in Oakland that's a, a marching brass band and they kind of their thing is a start in a venue and then they walk around the the streets and then they actually get people to come in and it's pretty cool, you know, like it's a it's a cool idea. Like, yeah. And I've seen them in the street and been like, oh, fuck yeah, like, what are they doing? And like, listen to a couple songs and okay, and then I'm on my way or whatever. Or you walk with them for a block, you right. know, it's like, it's cool, right? They just 
they came into the wrong fucking house though, and uh, they they came in and everyone was just kind of baffled. I remember even you were just like, what, what, what? Like you didn't even know how to call the match anymore because no. you were just so like fucking bewildered at like what this fucking <laughs> brass band was doing there and. I was like, fuck it, dude. I turned to Mike and Brian, and I was like, hey, let's play this song. Fucking Scorpion. Yeah, just like came in like balls to the wall, and like, <laughs> and fucking Salvador, the sound guy, is like so on top of that shit. He just fucking cranked the volume. Yeah. That shit was like shaking the room. You couldn't hear a goddamn fucking toot out of their horn. I, and- I don't think I've ever heard a louder noise in my life than you guys playing the Scorpion theme, which is probably the most scintillating, venomous, visceral, <laughs> eviscerating song on Hood Slam Jams. It's just, there's no warning, there's no countdown, <laughs> there's no count in. It's just yeah, it's, it's carnage. It's pretty shredding, yeah. And I actually remember uh, watching the footage back, because we were, I don't think we were broadcasting on YouTube at the time, uh, but like I remember seeing the footage, and as soon as you guys started playing, the camera was just like, it was like a disaster movie. The camera was just shaking so much, you could barely keep track of what was happening in the ring. Like It was so loud that you were right. The, the building, the camera literally shook. Yeah, then the the fucking fans started just moshing all the the band, you know, the little brass band, and they they got the fuck out of there, turned <laughs> turn tail and ran. And it's like it's moments like that where it's like, had I not been doing this with my life, that would have never happened, you know. That are just like there's those are key to me. Those are just special moments. You know? Yeah. Well, dude, uh, thank you so much for uh, for for chatting with me on the podcast for and, sure. and sharing your story and everything. And uh, you know, I mean, is there is there anything else you want to say in closing before I you know plug some more shit real quick before we get out of here? Um, I mean, I, I think I said it. It's like if you got something that you know you want to do in your heart, just don't stop. You know, I mean, I I hear I hear people tell me this shit all the time that like you know I I'll play like drums or whatever i play a show and they're like oh i wish i could do that i'm like well you fucking can't yeah and they're like no i can't i'm like yes you can't you just have you know how you do it you fucking do it right like i could i didn't like know how to do this shit you know i mean i would just spent 45 minutes telling you how shitty i was when i started doing this stuff yeah. everyone sucks when they start doing it you know so it's people people defeat themselves you know yeah the people who think they can and think they can't they're both right yeah yeah, man. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many kids like in high school that, you know, played and were really fucking good in high school, but then they just stopped. Yeah. You know, and and I always like I always think of that. and I'm like, you fuckers, dude, you would be so good if you had just kept going. You know, I started at zero and now I'm at like 10. You yeah. started at 10 back then. You would have been at like 50. Right. You know, and <laughs> skill points of music. <laughs> but yeah, just if you want to do it, do it, man. That's. That's it. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Cool way to cool way to send it off. Thank you so much for coming on. Hell yeah, well, man. Appreciate it. Brett, thank you so much for uh, coming onto the podcast and chatting with me about your your journey thus far uh, to make it as a professional musician. Um, man, what, what stood out for me more than anything else was that re- keep running into that bigger fish. I mean, you think you think you're good, and then you run into somebody who kind of makes you reevaluate where you're at, and you just ask yourself what do I need to do to get that good? And that can both be a humbling and a motivating 
experience at the same time, which, you know, if you have, if you're passionate about something, you want to be as good as you can possibly be. Um, so, you know, for everybody out there who's chasing something down, you think you're good, keep an eye out for that bigger fish because there's always more to learn. And that's pretty much it, man. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm waking up at 3.30 in the morning, Monday morning, going to wake up, going to drive an hour, going to work out, going to drive the rest of the way to L.A. And, uh, you know, this is as close as I can get to getting this gig without actually getting the gig. So, like, this is the final step in the selection process. So, fingers crossed that you might see me uh, in a beer commercial in the not-too-distant future. Um, and uh, subscribe to The Rock's YouTube channel because... Um, Brosive Joe Brody is, I'm not planning on losing. I mean, everybody who entered this competition didn't plan on losing. I definitely don't plan on losing, um, as was my attitude on Tough Enough, as was my attitude when I was pursuing an interview with Larry King. Somebody has to win. I think it should be me. And I am not going to give anybody any reason to believe that anyone else should win this but me. So... Subscribe to the Rock's YouTube channel. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, and uh, yeah, I've got some I've got some good stuff coming. Um, so once again, Brett, thank you for joining me. Uh, and until our paths cross again, my name is AJ Kirsch, and I encourage you to roll up your sleeves and find your grind. Laters. And Jay. Or whatever the fuck he brought that day, like, you know, a quarter of it gone. And he's like, hey, you want some beer? And it was, like, inevitable that at, like, noon, one of us had to start drinking with Johnny because God. he was there already drinking. <laughs> and he wasn't going to let you not drink. Right, right. <laughs> and so, like, that that pretty much meant that, like, almost every show, one of the band members was just, like, blackout wasted because they'd been drinking for, like, six hours by the time the show started. Thanks to fucking Johnny Drinko. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs>